Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. back in action how are you i'm good man how are you it's good to see you it's great to see you it's uh you know closing out the week here we got a a fresh episode on tap for for everybody and some fun topics to to get into and i'm looking forward to seeing what's on your wrist what's in your glass and and digging into a, a, a kind of a fun topic it's been a little while since uh since we got together we had a fun string of of three episodes that were sort of either directly related to, to veterans um, or veterans initiatives today's or tomorrow we're tomorrow we're recording on Thursday Friday is Veterans Day here in the US and so that was a cool um, unplanned but I guess in some ways uh, fortuitous way to, to, to rip off three episodes that were really fun quite frankly yeah totally that was unplanned but as you say uh, it you know kind of fortuitous and you know today I don't know if you realize this but you know tomorrow is the 11th right um, used to be Armistice Day and uh, Veterans Day here in the United States but today is the 10th the 10th of November is uh, the basically the anniversary of the founding of the United States Marine Corps founded in a bar in Philadelphia so I, I figured that would uh, be the branch Ooh. of the service that would be most a appropriate for us now you're talking you're, to me Hoorah! a philly boy right <laughs> that's right man that's right i love it that's about as good as it gets that's some good news for me you know i i, I spent the last uh people who follow the the personal feed probably saw i've been following the the phillies all through their world series run and and they lost uh unfortunately to the astros and then the philadelphia union lost to what would be our, uh, what would amount to our hometown soccer mls team the lafc so uh, I'm looking for some some bright news, and that was a good one. Yeah, well, I'm I'm sorry about that loss, and people in LA, uh, no doubt, are still. That's probably going to be years before we are not feeling chapped about the success of anything, you know, from uh, the Astros. But yeah, no what kidding. Do you I had a number. I mean, once uh, the Phillies eliminated the Padres, I, I basically everybody, and I don't think I know anybody that's an Astros fan, but basically everybody that was either uh, uh, like my hometown crew was obviously all in on the Phils and basically LA. And then everybody else said, you know, screw the Astros. So it felt good to have a, a kind of a, 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 you know, some support for that. Yeah. You got uh, kind of fans by default. It's like, yeah. okay, you, you, we basically, we root for the Doyers. And anybody playing Houston. There you go. I, and so, I'll take what we can get. So, yeah, absolutely. All right, Holmes. Well, why don't we do the uh, the wrist check, poor check? What do you have on the wrist today? On the wrist, uh, we're recording on a Thursday, which seems sort of off calendar for us. We usually do things either earlier in the week or even on the weekends if we're able to get together. But we're on Thursday, and um, I just so happen to have on my Oris. Big crown, 80th anniversary, uh, pointer date. So it's the bronze with green dial. 
And, um, you know, it's a fun piece to wear any time of the week, but especially on, on Thor's day as the, uh, as the Instagrammers, um, like to say, and, uh, it's on Hovig's, um, Horween shell quarter van, this sort of marbled green and brown and, uh, which is courtesy of, a, a, a pairing, I should say that was helped put together by our good friend, Chase Horology 411 who got a ton of shout outs on the last uh, out of time podcast. Those guys are back in action talking to Carlo Terlizzi, which was a really fun episode, but yeah, that, that's was, that was a fun episode. I, I, I think I um, messaged Carlo and was like, dude, I'm insanely jealous. You have to come on with us now. He's yeah. a good rapper. He's uh, a funny guy. He's, he is a great, funny guy. So, um, but yeah, so, and I think this strap will be foreshadowing or foreshadowed, I suppose, into our main topic, you know, the topic du jour, which we'll get into shortly, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Great, so stand by combo. for, for more Hovig's mention. How about in the glass? You got anything going in the glass is brewery X fest beer. Yeah. This is a, a Bavarian style fest beer. I, you know, it's, it's the beginning of November. I think, you know, Fest beers, Marsons, Oktoberfest, that goes all the way through Thanksgiving, in my opinion. Um, brewery X is out of Anaheim. Uh, it's a newer, younger brewery, but um, for those folks who are sort of in the SoCal area, uh, probably becoming quickly uh, accustomed to what they put out. They put out some really cool stuff. Uh, they're friends of, of ours, of mine, and um, they have got an absolutely massive stunning brewery operation down in Anaheim and they've just been firing all on all cylinders. I mean, they're, I think they're the uh, official beer of the Anaheim ducks or they're in the Honda center or whatever it's called these days. They're they they seem to be in all the uh, uh, beer stores and, and liquor stores and they make a big, great product. And the, uh, and, and the, the space down there is, is super fun. So we're going to get down there soon and, and say hi to those guys. Right on. Yeah. I've seen that beer actually quite a bit. We've been sort of spoiled for choice in the past, maybe two years. It seems like there's a lot more kind of domestic craft, um, Oktoberfest, Fest beer, you know, Meritzen type beers, you know, not just the usual imports, you know, from, uh, you know, Eyinger or, uh, Schneiderweiss or whatever. Um, but yeah, stuff like Brewery X and Alesmith and Firestone all have different options, which is great because that's one of my favorite styles. And as you say, I mean, we're not, we don't get brutally cold here. So that style of beer is a good drinking beer pretty much, you know, all the way through the, you know, fall and winter months. So that's a great choice. Um, yeah, we're going to have to go down there and maybe record down there sometime. Be a lot of fun. I know a couple of the watch fam's been down there and uh anyway, they're really good people and and they grew fast, which was by design, but it's still craft and independently owned. So gotta appreciate that. Yeah, well there's nothing like having uh, you know, a well capitalized enterprise, you know. It just start as you mean to continue if you can. So I I tell you what, why don't we just coast right into mine? So for a wrist check, I sent you a picture of it because we're just, you know, for people who can't see us, we are um each of us are recording in our respective garages this evening. So the lighting's not awesome, but I have, um, really the, you know, one of the most redoubtable, uh, go anywhere, do anything steel sports watches available now. And that's the modern iteration of the Omega, uh, Seamaster 300 M. So this is the scalloped bezel, you know, the, the, basically the, the bond watch as it exists now, I've got the black dial version and I've got this off of its 
you know, otherwise excellent bracelet. And this is on a kind of a distressed, I think they call it like a brushed canvas, kind of a brown. It almost looks like a brown camouflage canvas from Strap Habit, um, which is a, a really good combination for this watch. And uh, it it reminds me that on its bracelet or on its strap, this really is kind of the original Submariner killer. And I love it. Whenever I, I have this thing on, I feel like I have, I will never have need for a Submariner in my collection, unless it's gold. Well, that's always the caveat. Um, you know, it's a great combo. Strap habit's been on fire. And uh, I love the way that looked. The, the picture you sent me, we'll have to post that. I'm sure you'll get it up. But a uh, super moody shot. We've had some cool wet weather, um, which is, you know, unusual for us. See, you know, maybe toward this, this time of the year we get that. But uh, that wrist shot you took was uh, really on point. Yeah, well, I I credit the uh, the software that my kid turned me on to to run through the filters, and then in the glass or what's about to be in the glass, I'm going to do the same thing as you. Bingo! Did you catch that? Sure did. Here, let's see if we can get the pour too. Yeah, maybe not. Little silent, but this is a uh, an IPA from from Coronado Brewing. This is Weekend Vibes IPA. So it's, you know, kind of a, a standard IPA, a little on the light side, like in terms of body and color. It um, is light. It's, you know, not a hazy. And I'm not usually an IPA guy more than just maybe one beer, but you know who is, is uh, our friend and guest on recent pod. And that is uh, Jello Aiello. So he is, he is a Coronado guy. He lives out there down in San Diego. And this is one he recommended. I asked him, hey, what's your kind of what's your go-to beer? That's right. I remember that from the episode. Yeah, so now. he mentions like, hey, I, you know, I live on Coronado. We have Coronado Brewing. I like an IPA. So we're trying this. That was a fantastic episode. And I would just ask anybody, hey, if you're listening to this and haven't heard that, go back one episode and listen to that. But moreover, check out Jello's new format. It should be showing up, you know, kind of to the general public soon, but he sent out a teaser to his Patreons and I got to watch it today. And he's basically going to a, you know, a, like a simulcast format. So he's in a studio doing a, you know, a cross table kind of video interview format that's going to go up on YouTube and then, you know, be dropped as a, uh, as an audio kind of a conventional podcast as well. And yeah, I, I got to see it. It was really cool. So if you like the fighter pilot podcast, I think you're really going to like the fighter pilot YouTube, you know, version 2.0, whatever he's calling it, but it's bitching. So that's, what's in the glass. Love it. And I'm sure they're going to do, you know, Joe's going to be hugely successful. And, uh, as we knew, and, and as folks sort of chimed in, um, there's a lot of folks that, uh, also appreciate what he does. And, um, so yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, totally. Well, Hey man, um, it's been a while since we've recorded. There's definitely been some watch drops recently, um, more than we can probably go over. But I mean, the elephant in the room, and I'm, I use the word in elephant intentionally, maybe like an elephant seal, uh, whale shark, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, but is the, uh, the huge Rolex dive watch. Have you seen it? And what do you think of it? So are you, are you alluding to the, like a bloated state of some sort? Sort of. <laughs> Uh, I don't hate it. I don't think it's silly. Um, I know a lot of people are clowning on it. I get it. I'm not, uh, I'm not opposed to having, you know, critiques and, and a critical opinion of it, but, um, 
I don't know, man. I think this is Rolex is obviously starting to flex its titanium muscle. You're probably going to start to see it in other models. And this is just the presentation that they first let it out in the continued pettiness of who can go deeper uh, wages on. <laughs> we had, right. We had the uh, the Planet Ocean Ultra Deep, not even what, six months ago, seven months ago. Yeah, maybe not even that. Not even. And so now the deep sea challenger goes to 11,000 meters. This one goes to 11. Yeah. I, um, so I appreciate your take. I have an opposite take. I'm not a, a Rolex hater by any means. I do hate all the kind of the hype around it. Although it does feel like that's kind of dissipating as the, uh, you know, the, the energy around the secondary market is kind of maybe the, that energy is dwindling. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's really true either, by the way, but we'll see. But um, yeah, I don't care for it. I mean, to me, this thing seems like this is just a, a an inevitable, we have to respond to kind of an effort. You know, both companies, as you, I'm sure you know, they produced, you know, that much is to say Omega and, and Rolex. In their turn, uh, Rolex and Omega produced these like massive honking technology demonstrator kind of watches, right? These were, you know, the the big thick variations on these watches and uh you know they they did these really kind of cool uh deep dives with them and omega i think was basically the first to shrink that thing down to a reasonable size you know so there's the ultra deep basically and to me that watch is a it's a large watch, but I mean, we had a chance to see it and we tried it on at, you know, at our get together at Overtown, cool side of the moon, brought it. Thanks, Manny. Um, and got to check that thing out. And it's definitely, it's big, but I mean, it's not bigger than something like, you know, a full size, like a Breitling Avenger from 10 years ago. I mean, if you could wear that, you can wear the Omega and the Omega is, is, you know, significantly better in terms of the technology and stuff. Rolex feels like to me, it, it's like they had to just hurry up and do something. And the differentiating, the differentiating characteristics size wise between the technology demonstrator that they used with James Cameron and this watch, it just doesn't seem like there's that much difference at all in order to, in order to get the spec, you know, the leg up on spec for Omega, they just kind of serialized the you know, the technology demonstrator watch, the test bed watch and called it a day and slapped a, a enormous price tag on this thing. And, you know, they're going to sell because the completists and the collectors and the people who just want to be like, look what I got. We'll definitely yeah. buy these. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, point counterpoint, like, especially in the dive watch space, quite frankly, in my opinion, right. It's a pretty romantic community, right? How far can this watch go? How deep can it go? So, on one hand, everybody's going to say, we love that a, a, a brand, a watch company is willing to R&D and engineer something that can go beyond the deepest part of the ocean, right? Or, or just as deep as possible. But the, on the other hand, we're going to give them you know, a hard time because now it's this hunking piece of, of, of metal on somebody's wrist, or it just seems like it's tit for tat on somebody who else who already did it. It's like, hey, everybody, you want your pie and you want to eat it too? Like, do you want to applaud... Uh, a brand for pushing technological boundaries and pushing things to the very bottom? Um, or do you want to, you know, chastise them because you think it looks silly or because you think it's, you know, just on the heels of somebody else? I don't know. Listen, I'm not going to rush out and buy it. It's not my price range. 
doesn't fit my wrist. Uh, I think you're hundred percent right. It will sell and whoever the people that want it are going to get it. Um, well, certain people who want it will get it. It'll, they'll sell what they make. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't know. They just keep doing stuff, right? All of a sudden you're going to have roll, you're going to have titanium in the Rolex lineup. All of a sudden they push the, their, their deepest, you know, diver to the bottom. Um, listen, I get it. I get it. It's big. It's kind of crazy looking. Most normal people can't pull it off. Most normal people won't be able to get it. Most people who would be looking for a watch of that type wouldn't be shopping in that, in that, you know, on that shelf. But uh, I don't know. They're doing stuff. I mean, what's the problem? Well, when you put it that way, I mean, I think you have a great point about the the dive watch community and dive watches in general being kind of as a class of object, you know, the subject of a lot of romanticism. And so that's cool. And I am excited about the idea that they are finally kind of uh, producing in in reasonable numbers. I don't know how many of these are going to get produced. Certainly, there'll be low rate production, but, you know, regular production. But something with titanium, that's good. You know, finally, better late than never for them. But meanwhile, I think Zinn is just sitting over in the corner going, yeah, okay. What's, <laughs> we we have the, uh, what is it, the EZM2, the UX, uh, the oil-filled watches that I, I think basically have no depth rating for all intents and purposes and are uh, very wearable and about one-tenth the price. So I, I, you I would be romantic about that quartz and all. There you go. I think that, I think that's fair. I think it's a super measured, um, take on both sides. Listen, I get it. The memes are funny. They're fair. They're true. They're critical. Um, but on the flip side, like we said, I I just think, you know, I don't have a problem with it and, uh, anybody that gets one, I'm sure they're going to be stoked about it. And if I get to see one in the wild, I'll be pretty stoked about it too. Yeah. I'll definitely ask somebody if I can try it. You know, I'm Hell yeah, yeah, ain't ain't too proud to beg. <laughs> speaking like of speaking of sort of romantic and and sort of over the top, uh, we we got to talk about the chrono chimes. Yeah, you know what? I have no notes on that, but I definitely have thoughts. I mean, I to me that's just one of those. And again, I'm I'm a complete sucker, you know, for something like that. Um, as a you know, like, uh, I, I don't know, I, I don't speak French, so I'm going to probably mispronounce this or whatever. So forgive me. But as an, you know, objet d'art, you know, just a, uh, a, a thing to exist for its own sake, you know, as a, um, as a statement of like, what is the state of the art in a, in a company like Omega? I think they're phenomenal pieces. I especially like, although, I mean, if I had to buy one, I would pick the one that's a little bit more Speedmaster esque, but I would definitely want to possess the, you know, uh, uh, pocket watch, you know, kind of watch fob looking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that would be, that would be an amazing like FU piece. Yeah. I think that's, in my opinion, I think that's sort of the way that you look at it is like, listen, again, back to the sort of completist or the the, the Uber Omega enthusiast. That is like, if you can, <laughs> you're gonna and have to get that, right? If you're able to. Um, the technology that went into it, the R&D, just the, the you know, the horology uh, and the finishing. Now, listen, I understand some of it's, you know, not by hand, but it is really top, top, top level and damn cool looking, but the movement itself is just incredible too. So, I mean, 
just a, again, a flex of muscle, right? By Omega, um, making something that's never been made before, presenting it in two very different, but, you know, uh, related packages. Um, it's, it's very neat. It's very neat. We're not going to, we're never going to see one. Quite frankly, we weren't invited to the Coliseum. We live right down the street, which is messed up. Somebody should have said, Hey, you guys could just shoot down the 110. I'm there every day, by the way. Dude, I, I think we know somebody who went to that. Yeah. I, I don't I don't want to put that person on blast, but and I I think that person might be getting one of these. Got it. Understood. Yeah, I, I saw I saw two or three people there that we knew. So um, you know, I, I was willing to be a plus one. I would have just shuffled over from work and uh, I could have been there much easier than than most of them, but you know, that's beside the point. That's super cool. Well, hey, dude, let's say if you won, and this by the way is um, how far away do you live from the place that sold the two point? What is it? Two point <laughs> four billion dollar single uh, winner lottery ticket? Are you what a half a mile away? Yeah, uh, probably a mile. Probably a mile. the The neighbor, the neighbor threads were the text threads were going fast and furious when a guy announced. And the you, you, you and I were talking about the choppers. The choppers were circling and getting the aerial footage. Uh, everybody was asking if if it was uh, somebody we knew, but. Lo and behold, I'm still here recording podcasts in my garage. Yeah, yeah. For for people listening, you know, uh, on the other side of the country or around the world, a very very large lottery jackpot. The ticket for that, and it was a single winner. Apparently, uh, was sold very very close to Greg's home. So there was a lot of speculation. People were calling me, and I'm like, that, that, not even close. But hey, let's just say you won, and you had. Half a million bucks to spend on a watch. Which of those two chrono chimes do you like? Wow, you know. And here's the other thing too: the guy who sold, I didn't realize the the payout on the on the the, the winning ticket. Oh, set. he's rich now. You mean it was a million dollar um, check he got from the California Lottery? Um, wow. I mean, do you know the dimensions on the 1932? I'm trying to think if that's, I mean, obviously shape wise, it's, it's, it's think the cases for both, I think are 45, I believe, but what's different is just the, um, sort of the wearability, the dimensions, as far as the wearability goes for the pocket watch style, because it's just, it's going to wear very differently the way it mounts to a bracelet. It's going to add a lot to the lug, I think. But you can, on the other hand, though, you can, my understanding is you can pretty elegantly dismount that thing from its, I said bracelet, but I think it's strap. Um, you take that off of the strap and, you know, ha- have it basically like configured like a pocket watch. Here you go, then. All that said, I'm going to go Speedmaster format, uh, a Venturine dial, and uh, and maybe I'm going to rock that all Sedna and, uh, and then totally out myself for being the $2.4 billion Powerball winner. Yeah, what's the meme? I won't tell anybody, but there'll be subtle clues. <laughs> well, it's not subtle, but it is a clue. Yeah. It's like, Greg, why did you spray paint your watch with black <laughs> Krylon? Yeah. Speaking of uh, chime watches, uh, this is somebody we don't talk a ton about. And this was also sort of unexpected. And this is <laughs> way on the other side of the spectrum. Um, but how about that Christopher Ward Belcanto? That's a neat little watch. What do you think? So I'm not going to go into it as to why I'm not a fan of the the brand, but um, I I I can't hate that watch. I mean, good for them. I I like the format of the watch. I think it's an interesting uh, departure for them, and I think that represents an interesting value. I mean, it it you know it's kind of like a 
pseudo complication, um, but it's neat and it looks neat and it's not a ton of money, you know, so good for them. I think, you know, there's going to be people who want that. Um, and I, I would leave it at that, but I think it's, it's a neat watch. Yeah, I think that's good enough. I think it's an interesting watch. I think it's something that's not really on the market. Um, the aesthetic looks a different part. And um, yeah, whatever, the 300 some odd people or whatever that were able to grab that one, I'm sure they'll be quite happy with it, but that was unexpected. And, you know, we're trying to cover the spectrum from sort of, you know, uh, half a million dollars all the way down to 3,500 or whatever it is. Yeah, totally. Hey, um, one last watch piece of related news. And this could have been, I guess, for closing notes, but I have something else. So I wanted to bring it up here. I sent this over to you and I'm not sure I sent it a little late. So I don't know if you got a chance to see it. Did you have a chance to watch this Debitune sensorial chronometry project? No, I saw that you sent it, but I didn't have time to take a look at it today. But let her rip. Tell, tell us about it. So go check it out. We'll, we'll put, uh, tag it or, or put it in show notes. We never do show notes. I always say that. Um, Debitune is, I, I caught this on monochrome watches, by the way, and it's been elsewhere. Um, but just, you know, shout out to them because that's where I found it and they do some good stuff. Debitune is doing something now for their clients where they send them what they're calling like a test watch, right? So think almost like the Hublot service, you know, service watch, not for resale. So sort of this complimentary watch that the user wears for, I don't know, weeks, let's just say. And it, it looks like it's an anti-digi. It basically has like an analog face and it says, you know, Debitune. It has like the Debitune lugs or whatever. But in it is like hundreds of sensors. And the sensors continually are tracking the wearer. And I, you probably have to plug it in every night, you know, maybe like an Apple Watch or whatever. And it's collecting all this data on like how the wearer is wearing the watch, in what positions, hydrometry, is it getting wet? Is it not? What's the force at which they're using it? Like, are they swinging a golf club with it? Are they hiking? You know, um, how often are they wearing it? Like, what's the temperature? They're taking all that information in as the potential, you know, as the client. And then they're engineering the debitune that the client is then wearing. And they're, if I understood this correctly, they're tuning and, and, and sort of fine tuning the watch and the movement to meet and match the wearer's kind of use case based off of all this data that they took in off of this test watch. How wild is that? Yeah. I mean, that seems like that's kind of the, the ultimate, you know, bespoke watch. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's the best way to put it. That's about as bespoke as it gets. Any, uh, any kind of ideas to what that's going to set you back? I mean, six figures. I guess, yeah, if you've got the money to be, you know, looking seriously at Debitune anyway, yeah, why not? That seems kind of cool. I'd, I'd be interesting to see what, um, what technical tweaks they would make based on the data that they collect. You know, did, did they, did they, you know, change the architecture of, you know, kind of the movement mounts or, you know, change the, the material science behind, you know, what they're making for you or do they try to maybe alter the, the way the watch is regulated if they know that, you know, the watch spends a certain amount of time, you know, maybe on an opposite wrist. If you, if you, you know, go lefty, righty, whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's, it's potentially very cool, but I don't know what the value add is in there. Uh, 
I'd, I'd have to, I'll definitely take a look at it. It's a great question. I think there's probably a lot. I think they literally just released even the idea that the project is happening, you know, and, and they, you know, some, some, some photos of, of sort of the, the sensorial, you know, the test unit. So I don't even know if they've made a watch based off the data yet, but um, pretty interesting. I don't know. I don't know. Like you said, it's like the ultimate bespoke thing. Um, there's an interesting blend of technology and watchmaking and not so much as like material science or like, you know, a new movement per se, but like just an, an, an ideal use of sort of how somebody may be interacting with their watch. So it'd be cool. I don't know. We'll stay tuned on it. Right on. Yeah. Well, I'll take a look at the video. Well, Hey, what do you think? We've, uh, we've talked a little bit about new stuff and we've, you know, done our wrist check, port check, et cetera. Why don't we dive into the main topic? Cause this is a little bit different and I, I'm hoping this is kind of cool. And I expect we could probably repeat this from time to time because the, the situation on the ground here in Southern California changes, but are you, uh, are you ready to kind of go? You have all your notes and everything. Cause this is going to be an interesting one. Yeah, I got notes. I'm excited. I think this would be fun for the folks who live uh, close to us. So we got a lot of people, obviously, in the kind of Southern California area that uh, tune in and, and are friends of ours. And then it's cool, too, for folks that are further away, you know, when they're in visiting friends, uh, traveling, vacation, business, whatever it is. I think it'll be a neat way to highlight some things that we like and maybe uh, take people on a little tour of our of our humble, humble city. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive in. Um, so here's the scenario and kind of the the parameters we're working in. Imagine that you are going to be visited over the course of maybe, you know, just hypothetically say like a three, three or four day long weekend. So you got a few days to do stuff like this, but by, you know, maybe some watch related friend uh, from someplace outside of Southern California. So if you can imagine basically somebody who's in into the same things we are, i.e., you know, the watches, what any any of the watch nerd stuff, basically. What do you do with them while they're here? Where do you recommend they go? What do you suggest they do and see? Um, you know, and not just watch related. You know, the whole shebang, basically, to to cover the entire visit, everything from you know food, where do you stay, uh, what kind of things do you see. And, and, you know, some watch stuff as well. So are you ready to kind of fire this up? I am. And I just referred to Los Angeles as a humble, humble city. I don't think it's ever been described as that, but we spend a lot of our time in San Gabriel Valley. And uh, I think we like to think of ourselves as, as quite humble and quite interesting, but uh, maybe LA is a, a little bit different as a, as a whole. Well, yeah, I think, and I should say too, you know, you and I talked about this in advance. I deliberately kind of with intention tried to skew some of my suggestions towards the area that we live, which is kind of, you know, Pasadena, this part of uh, San Gabriel Valley. This is the original old money area in, you know, basically outside of San Francisco on the West Coast. Um, and, you know, this is a uh, an area that's got a lot going for it, but frankly, generally gets ignored by kind of, you know, the newer, hipper, you know, folks that are basically on the West Side. And we're going to talk about some stuff all over LA, but I deliberately kind of tried to pick some stuff that would be a little bit further east. How about that? Further east than the 405. There you go. Further, further east even than the downtown slot with the 110. So, Well, we, we're throwing people right in the fire here if they're not from the area. We're throwing out freeways. We're giving cardinal directions. This is how people operate around here. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, man. Well, let's let her rip. Um, why don't we start with like the most obvious category? If you've got somebody off the plane and they're like, hey, you know, uh, let's go grab a quick bite to eat just for something fast. Where are you taking somebody? So I put this in, I, I made a group of, of restaurants and places that I like that are um, great food, uh, but also great tequila and mezcal. Obviously, I think people would expect- As you should. Expect none less from me. And so uh, a few places stand out immediately. I have uh, great friends at Maestro in Pasadena, uh, right right on, uh, uh, right in, in Old Town, uh, right there on, off of Colorado. Um, I believe they're on- union and um i think so union they're great great people amazing food uh elevated mexican cuisine um you know so it's not like a big plate of of sort of enchiladas and beans and rice but uh sort of a chef driven approach not haughty toddy though uh just like i said elevated and a not the biggest you know baddest bar uh in terms of uh, tequila mezcal in los angeles but extremely well curated and uh, and very very well stocked, and they're amazing people. So Maestro in Pasadena is is a tremendous uh, option, and then uh, another one which has to be said, and anybody who's into into agave spirits would know. Um, there's a there's about three or four locations I think at the moment, but there's another restaurant called Madre. The original one is in Torrance, but they also have locations in on Melrose. I want to say Santa Clarita and uh, maybe one more. And um, they, in fact, have the biggest, baddest tequila and mezcal selection, uh, maybe to be found in the entire country, certainly out west. Uh, and their food is also tremendous. And the uh, uh, the proprietor is uh, is a pretty good uh, is a really great guy. Actually, all the proprietors are good. Uh, uh, Paul and Sergio Ramaestro great guys, Nate Evangelinos and, uh, Yvonne runs Madre. He's, a uh, he came from Oaxaca and, and has made a home in LA and, and really made a special place for people who love Mexican and Oaxacan cuisine and, uh, and, and agave spirits. So both of those are tremendous. The original one is in Torrance, big fun. There's bands, mariachis and entertainment. Um, and Maestro is a, is a jewel right here in, in Pasadena. Oh, that's a great choice. See, I was going to go with one of the obvious things. Like you get your friend off of the airplane, you collect the baggage. The first thing you do if it's after like 1045 is you get in the line at the in and out right there, just north of the airport. And of course, I mean, you if you're here from out of town, you know, or anywhere basically like kind of east of the Rocky Mountains, because in and out is all over now, right? But I mean, you have to do in and out, um, you know, shout out to Kat and Catlin from, uh, you know, the, excuse me, hang on one second. Oh man. Uh, sorry about that. I just, uh, basically stifled the sneeze, but you know, from 10 and two, um, I know that was something that was always kind of big on the hip parade from them when they came in and just about everybody else I know. But I think what you, uh, you hit on something really cool there. And that is, you know, the sort of the Oaxaca connection anywhere in Southern California, really, you know, you got three really big, um, sort of flavors, if you will, in, in air quotes, a sort of ethnic cuisine. And it's going to be anything sort of Latin American influenced, um, anything sort of Pacific Rim, Asia, specifically Chinese, but a lot of Vietnamese, a lot of Korean as well, some Japanese. Um, and then, you know, uh, uh, sort of pan Middle Eastern, you know, we, they, they call Los Angeles in certain areas, they refer to it as Tehrangelis, right? 
Um, but you, I think the single biggest thing has got to be, you know, food out of Mexico. And you mentioned Oaxaca. I'm picking Walawetza. So, oh, so yeah. good. Yeah. So this is a, um, ironically, this is a, a kind of a, a really authentic Oaxacan Mexican food place in Koreatown. Yeah. This place is on Olympic. It's, um, it's a big place. Have you ever been in there? I have, and it's actually really fun. It's fun. It is right. It is. It's not pretentious at all, but you get in there and like you said, it is, um, I wouldn't describe it as elevated. I mean, it's not experimental in any way, but it's stuff that you're not going to find at a typical place. And that is, you know, a lot of really good, authentic moles, um, you know, a lot of meat dishes that you wouldn't typically find. Um, I'm forgetting what the, the term for it is, but you know, you're, you're going to get the roasted crickets in there. Chapolinas. Uh, yeah. And you know, the stuff that you just aren't, are not going to find, you know, at a, at a typical sit down, you know, Mexican restaurant, that's, that would be my first pick, but I mean, I've got a few others. We can maybe circle back on food, but that's, you know, uh, my number one, basically as you're, as you're headed to our neck of the woods from LAX, I'm taking you for Oaxaca and, and we're going to pick uh, a really good kind of chocolatey peanutty mole. Oh, so good. So good. You know, um, Galagetza is like the OG Oaxacan um, sort of, you know, staple in LA. And so they deserve a shout out for sure. That's a great, a great suggestion. But, but to your point, in and out is quintessential Southern California. And like you mentioned, there's a whole host of people whose routine is to immediately leave LAX and go to In-N-Out. And uh, and whenever I welcome guests in who haven't been here for a long time or may have never been, uh, In-N-Out is without a doubt at the top of the list. So um, I, have to, I, have to, I have to admit something to you. I'm almost ashamed to admit this, and, and our Southern California listeners will probably like shake their heads at me. I just had Zanku chicken for the first oh. time. Holy, that was amazing. Yeah, that's famous for a reason. Yeah, a lot of reasons. I tell you what, if you if you like that, and it's it's quite good, but if you like that, I'm taking you to Scaffs in Glendale. All right. Consider, yeah. it, consider it a date. Really, really good uh, Lebanese food there. Very authentic. So for the folks not initiated, Zanku chicken is sort of a, you know, a Middle Eastern, you know, rotisserie chicken. Um, you know, Armenian, uh, it's Armenian, you know, in, in origin and, uh, they do chicken and falafels and, and, and other, you know, kind of things. And, uh, the garlic paste is. Oh, know, I brush my teeth with that stuff. I, I would, I would commit a crime for the recipe. Um, it's, it's incredible. So anyway, I just had it and I feel ashamed to say that because I didn't realize how good it was. Uh, welcome. Yeah. One of us. Nice. Well, hey. So, what else would you, any other suggestions in terms of food? Where are, where else are you going to recommend people go, or where are you going to take them? Um, do you have another one? I don't want to put you on you know on the spot. If I've got a that was my wheelhouse, so I picked like four spots. No, no, no. I don't have another one. So we can either you know sort of uh, move into sort of a next activity or or go to a particular geography. What are you thinking? Well, I tell you what. Let's talk about something to do, and we'll come back because I mean it's it's lunchtime. At, we just uh, ate. at at the Oaxacan place in Koreatown. So, you know, you're you're on Olympic. Why not just backtrack a little bit on Pico over to Pico Robertson and do some watch shopping at Feldmar? I think that's a must. Hundred percent. 
you, if you're a watch geek, like anybody listening to this podcast right now, and you came to LA and did not visit Feldmar, uh, you would be remiss. Yeah, there's, there's a number of really good, um, in some cases, really, you know, large glitzy, a lot of great brands, um, places around LA, right? I mean, there's, you know, there's West Time, there's, you know, Torno, there's any number of places, but Feldmar is the place that, you know, we love the most, I think, because let's face it. I mean, they've got great brands, great staff. Um, they treat you like family. It is not a weird experience to walk in there and not know a lot about watches. Uh, and unlike a lot of places, frankly, their staff does. So, you know, for the, for the nerds like us who walk in, it's sometimes a little off-putting to be confronted by somebody selling you, you know, maybe a a 10 or $15,000 timepiece who obviously doesn't know what they're talking about. That's not the case at Feldmar. Um, great people in a great part of town with a a lot of great brands. And it's, it's really very sort of, I, I know people use this term to describe like watch manufacturer, but it's kind of this, they've got a vertical selection from you know, core Seiko and G-Shock and a lot of that stuff, including some of the the most awesome LEs, they're not paying us to say this, you know, from G-Shock, but they also have stuff that's a little more kind of, you know, off the wall and esoteric, Jungens, um, you know, into, you know, the high-end brands, the Haute brands. So, you know, think Blancpain, Breguet, uh, Resence, um, They've Gerard got Pergo, you know, Parmigiani Fleurier. Oh yeah, the Parmigiani watches are insane. And you know, they have, you know, the full in-store boutiques, right? For IWC and Omega, Breguet, Blancpain, um, uh, Glashuta. There's just all kinds of stuff in there. The pre-owned selection in there is great. And you probably know if you're a watch dork and you're on Instagram, you probably know quite a few people, you know, by their handles. You know, watch fiend, very punny guy. Um, and, you know, and any number of other people and just a great place. So anybody who's interested in watches and wants to look at stuff while they're here, you know, especially when it comes to new watches, um, vintage is a different story. Uh, but you know, new watches, we're going to Feldmar. Although, yeah, you're correct. Although they do have a pre-owned selection and it's rad and we featured it on our episode, um, with, uh, Dre. Yeah, um, we did. And so the junior horologist, and so there's some pretty cool stuff in their pre-owned case too, um, both modern and vintage. So no, you got to do Feldmar. Um, Dude, that, that 18 karat gold Breitling aerospace. You're still thinking about it. Yes, you are. I am. You know, that to be actually, to be honest, I mean, as just a big middle finger to watch collecting convention, that to me is probably a bigger F you move than any $500,000 watch. I, I probably would agree with you. And I think it would be fun as hell to, to <laughs> be, be uh, participating in that big FU. Um, but listen, you know, I do think people should go down to Rodeo. You know, you're already on that side of town. Rodeo is an experience in itself, right? Obviously people, everybody knows what Rodeo Drive is, but you've got the big boutiques there, right? You've got the Grand Seikos, you've got Piaget, you've got Vacheron, you've got AP, you've got JLC, you've got Panerai, like go. Did you say Grand Seiko? Yeah, I did. That was the first one I said. Yeah. Okay. So you go, you go, you go, you check it out. You, you, you partake in sort of the touristy fun of it all. Um, if it's a beautiful sunny day and you're strolling down Rodeo Drive, I mean, I can't really argue with that. It's, 
you know, some people are going to think of that as being everything that's kind of wrong with society. But on the other hand, um, it's also sort of everything that's right. I mean, it is just energetic commerce at its best. Um, it's amazing people watching. And if, if you walk up and down, you know, for five minutes, you're going to see a half a dozen, a dozen of the most amazing supercars you've ever seen. It's not our scene. You know, we love our, our little, you know, community up here in the foothills, but, um, I'm not going to deny it. It's, it's fun. It's an experience. And, uh, you know, why not take some out of town guests and go enjoy yourselves over there. But what probably is more our scene is if you find yourself, you know, making your way back downtown, you stop in and see, you know, our good friends at, um, you know, at Hovig's. Yeah, that's actually, I think that is probably the, the most off the beaten track, um, watch place that most people, even in Southern California have never been to. Um, I would suggest, I mean, I would really recommend anybody in Southern California from, you know, Santa Barbara down to the border down in San Diego. At some point you need to go to Hovig supply. Uh, when you first walk in there, it's this like humble little storefront in, you know, the jewelry mart area, downtown Los Angeles. But when you start looking around at what they have, uh, and the sort of the repository of knowledge that you get, uh, in that place, it's well worth the trip. And what I've, I mean, I've, I think of all of the, you know, the tools that I've purchased there, um, just, just you know, stuff that you, you wouldn't think you need as a watch dork, but you know, you end up kind of wanting or like, Oh, you know what? Could I, could I have a use for this or, or what have you? All kinds of stuff, literature, old, you know, old advertisements like, uh, you know, Nick from ad patina, Natalie, who's the proprietor there has stuff like that as well. Um, great straps. I know you're, you're a strap guy there, right? I am. And, and, and quite frankly, I don't know how a better way to put this, but Natalie is, Natalie is a strap aficionado herself and, and, uh, and a designer and, uh, she has curated her own collection of straps, you know, which other people, you know, would be very envious of. And, uh, they're interesting, they're dynamic, they're, they're well-priced and, um, and they're super high quality. So, you know, most of the stuff that we put on our watches, you know, comes from her and, and it's pretty cool. People should check it out. Yeah. I, I, don't know with a hundred percent certainty that this is true, but based on my shopping experiences at other watch places around Southern California, I mean, I'm going to guess that Feldmar or places like Feldmar typically supply these folks. So, you know, going directly to the source definitely saves you money. I mean, I know for a fact that I've, I've purchased the exact same straps in, you know, a more conventional retail environment and spent twice as much and thought I was getting a good deal. And yeah. then you show up and, and you see what Natalie has and you're like, oh, okay, what I, this is what I'm doing from now on. But that's yeah. a, a fun place. And it's an eye opener. You know, you're going to run into, you know, a lot of watchmakers there that are shopping for tools and small parts and, and things like that, getting advice. It's a, uh, that's a neat kind of peek behind the curtain of the watch industry and a lot of history there. Yeah, that's right. It's, you know, multi-generational and we have a few friends that are, you know, spending time in the shop, whether they're working alongside Natalie or, or sort of just, you know, hanging around and, and, and talking, you know, talking watches and talking life. Yeah, totally. So we've talked a little bit about, let's just kind of stay on, on watches here for a second, if that's cool with you. So we talked a little bit about, you know, a, uh, an, 
authorized dealer for new stuff or, you know, kind of conventional pre-owned. We've talked about Natalie, but in Southern California, probably the single biggest institution, and there's a few good ones, but the single biggest institution, both brick and mortar and online for really good vintage has got to be want to buy a watch. hundred percent. I mean, that's a national reputation they've developed for good reason. Yeah. So we're, we're going to kind of backtrack a little bit over towards a kind of border of Beverly Hills, West Hollywood. We're going to want to buy a watch. Um, this is Ken Jacobs and, and his crew over there. They've been in business for a long time. If you walk in there on any given day, you know, just keep your mouth shut, but you're likely to see some, you know, celebrities and some A-listers in there watch shopping. They've got some amazing stuff and it, uh, the quality is unmatched. I mean, they, I think these, these folks were doing high quality vintage, you know, before it really was a thing. And that's a must a must see. And it's a neat spot too. I mean, it's in a cool part of town. There's a lot of good eating around there. A lot of good shopping for other stuff too. So people, if you're doing the tourist thing, stop in at, uh, at want to buy a watch for sure. Yeah, no, that's right. I, I was listening to a pod not too long ago with Ken on and just listening about, you know, the building itself and how he built that, that shop up and the approach they have to things, you know, and just the trends that he's seen, you know, when Rolex bubble backs were, were through the roof and, and sort of the inventory he had for, for those and this things shifted to sort of, you know, steel sports and, and other things. So just a really, again, another wealth of knowledge and, um, pretty cool place. You gotta, you gotta, gotta check it out when you're here. Yeah, absolutely. If you like old Omega, you gotta go there if you like old Rolex, but also if you like stuff like old Zodiac, you know, that's, uh, that's cool stuff. Let me throw you a wild card real quick. I didn't, I didn't mention this. The, have you been to the, to the Jorn boutique on sunset? I have not. I've been there, um, maybe two or three times. Um, once maybe as part of an event and then somehow I weaseled my way onto their mailing list and I got invited once or twice to something else. I will say, first of all, just being able to see Jorn in person and, and, interacting with them, wearing them, talking, just a special, that's just a special, you know, situation. Um, but they're incredibly kind and warm there. And um, anyway, it's just, I don't know how many Jorn boutiques there are. So I think that's probably one that's probably, you know, a little bit more niche, but um, they're super welcoming. And um, I've really enjoyed the times I spent there. And uh, I mean, you can't really argue with, you know, messing around with a couple of FP Jorns for you know, a few hours. Dude, that's like, uh, I want to say local kind of watch icon. Dr. Yellow is a Jorn person. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we'll, we'll have to ask for an invite or whatever, but we should, we should hook that up for sure. I would, I would love to kind of see how the other half lives. Uh, They got a bar and they pour whiskey, so we'll fit in. Right on, right on. Well, hey, so we've talked about Feldmar, want to buy a watch and Hovig's. I'm getting hungry again. What do you think you want to do for dinner, man? Oh, man. Um, gosh, I'm looking at my list now and uh, I don't know how many more food spots I have. I've got a lot more drinks. Me, I tell you what, <laughs> let me let me jump in then because I'll, I'll save it. So again, in Southern California, right, I mentioned, I mean, especially where we are, San Gabriel Valley, sort of the, the two big sort of ethnic influences are going to be, you know, Latin America, and uh asia so i'm going to recommend there's a place actually at the 
of all places at the shopping mall, the Santa Anita, you know, the mall there by the racetrack, um, Meijiao Dongpo. And that place, uh, I've been there a number of times. This is basically um, not super high end. I mean, it's not stuffy, but this is like white tablecloth, you know, uh, sort of pan style, uh, which is to say, you know, uh, pan regional uh, Chinese. And this is the place that I would take people who think they don't like Chinese food. And so there's there's quite a bit there that's really traditional, but there are things there that if you just, you know, for a typical kind of Western palate, they could, you know, they've a lot of stuff on the menu is going to be appealing, you know, that's, um, that's, you know, beef and seafood and stuff like that. But at the same time, really interesting. It feels like you're, you're definitely kind of out of your comfort zone if that's not something you're accustomed to eating, but at the same time, really approachable, you know, for, um, you know, for people who are definitely into this, you know, it's, uh, it, and if you need something, you know, a little bit more kind of mainstream, you know, you literally right across, you know, a hundred yards away, you've got Din Tai Fung. So, yeah, yeah, no, and Din Tai Fung is good too. I haven't been, I haven't been to, to the one you recommended. Um, but Din Tai Fung is, is good. I just had some friends that were in town and they went over for the first time and they were like blown away. It's a good spot too. Oh yeah. It's fun. You know, the original one was in Arcadia and, uh, at least the original one in the States and they've closed that. And this, this new one is still in Arcadia, California as well, but it's, you know, just in a a more modern, bigger location, but the, uh, you know, kind of the, the broth dumplings is kind of what they're famous for. And they've got a, a certain spice palette that they, they cook with there. That's phenomenal. But yeah, Dong Po, um, very interesting. And you're going to, for somebody who's again, not accustomed to that kind of cuisine, um, it's going to be really approachable and not in any way, I hate to say it like this, but you know, off-putting for somebody who is not, you know, accustomed to stuff that's like really exotic. Yeah. Welcoming. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. And they've got, uh, you know, just, um, yeah, it's, it's a, a very nice environment there. How about that? So that would be dinner and now we've got to go get drinks and now I'll turn it over to you. So I've got some cocktail bars uh, that I listed out and then some unique sort of nightlife options. So, okay, let's do this then. Let's get, let's pregame, let's pregame. So we're not going to go out to like the the ultimate destination yet, um, but we're, we want some cocktails, maybe something crafty or just interesting sort of uh, ambiance. So uh, let's see, what do I got here? I've got, oh, these are all downtown. So let's stay downtown. Uh, a couple recommendations. Las Perlas. Las Perlas is sort of like an old, like a one of the original um, mezcal tequila bars in LA, especially in downtown. Is they, that the place that only does that kind of? Yeah. No vodka, no whiskey, no gin. They serve tequila and mezcal and cerveza. <laughs> Would they make me a mezcal Negroni? A hundred percent. They definitely, whoa. Ooh, I don't know if they have, would they, I was going to say, would, would they have it? Yeah. I don't know. I actually, Break, that's a, BYO Campari. BYO Campari. It might be, uh, we'll, 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 we'll dig into this and make sure we report back appropriately. Um, but yeah, that's where I kind of cut my teeth on tequila and mezcal. And we used to live across the street from there and they've got a few locations. I think they have one maybe in West Hollywood, maybe one in Austin, Texas at this point, but, um, super authentic, uh, very passionate about sort of, you know, Mexican, um, spirits and Mexican kind of cocktail scene. Las Perlas is, is fantastic. 
But if you're looking for maybe a craft cocktail, maybe something a little off the beaten path, uh, I might recommend the Varnish, um, which is actually across the street. And it's just a, sort of a pseudo speakeasy in the back of Cole's French Dip. Okay. Have you been? I have not been, um, but I'm I'm definitely picking up what you're putting down there. I like the the downtown LA speakeasy thing is is pretty cool. Um, oh, help me out. Is it Golden Gopher? Golden Gopher's still there. That's on ninth. Yeah. yeah. Ninth in between. Um, gosh. Right. COVID messed me up for all that stuff. So I got yeah. I to get back in the swing. Golden today. Gopher's still there. Golden Gopher actually has, um, it's still there. And Penny Pound Ice, which has been really cool to send us. Uh, they make some really great ice cubes, by the way, if you're in LA. Yep. Um, crystal clear, beautiful squares, cubes crushed. I mean, they do it all. Penny Pound Ice has a little um, sort of pop-up in Golden Gopher, but I was there not too long ago to grab some ice. Yeah, Golden Gopher still is going. Um, but the varnish is a speakeasy in the back of a restaurant, which is called Cole's French Dip. There's two famous French dip spots in LA. You have Philippe's, uh, which is side of Chinatown, Chinatown adjacent. Yep, been there. It's great. And you have Cole's, which is on 6th Street in between Spring and Main. And in the back of Cole's is a cocktail bar called The Varnish. And it's like super uber crafty, um, you know, great spirits, but like a very, you know, bartender driven menu, no food. You can get food in front at the, you can get a French dip if you need to, but uh, a very fun off the beaten path location to get a, a really cool cocktail and a very, very cool ambiance, very moody spot. Okay. So now we've pre-gamed. We've had the craft cocktail at one of those places. I I have an idea or two for a main spot. Again, a little touristy. I don't know if they're played out now in terms of you know whether or not they're still cool because I'm kind of old. But I'm curious as to what your recommendation is, and I'll, I'll throw mine out. I've got some interesting ones. Um, let me start downtown because if we're already there, the Edison. Have you been to the Edison before? I haven't, no. The Edison's really cool. The Edison is in the bottom of... Uh, is in the basement of, of, of an old building and it's related to Edison power. And so the whole theme is sort of like steampunky. They do burlesque shows, you know, throughout the night on like a Friday or Saturday night, there's just, you know, think, you know, very industrial sort of exposed, you know, um, you know, uh, lighting and, and iridescent bulbs and just very steampunky and it's, but it's fun and it attracts a really fun crowd. Um, so the Edison is, is a really fun, fun spot downtown. Okay. I'll have to give that a try. I was wondering actually, if, like I said, if it's, if it's not played out and frankly, even if it is just because the environment is so rad, if somebody was from out of town, I would consider either, you know, depending on if they, what the weather is, frankly, and what time of evening, what time of year, you know, if the sun's going down at like eight 30, I might pick a, a different spot, but I'm saying either perch right there. You know, that's kind of a, uh, a standard, um, you know, uh, off of the square there, Pershing square. Maybe you, maybe you hit that after, uh, after co or I almost said COVID Jesus Hovig's. Um, but the other alternative that I was going to suggest was 71 above. And this is in the, uh, you know, what is it now? The is it the Inter Union Bank building? It, it changed names. Intercontinental. Okay, 
Yeah. So, you, you know, you're going up there, you're on the 71st floor, you basically have a Western exposure. And the idea is you watch the sun go down over the Pacific and you, you can see everything on a clear day or in a clear evening, you know, up to, you know, basically kind of the, the far end of the hills, you know, that, uh, kind of hem in, uh, Malibu, you can see Catalina. It's, it's gorgeous up there. Yeah, those are both great recommendations. Perch is still cool. I was there maybe a month or two ago. Um, some friends, surprisingly, had never been there. They're from LA. And um, sort of became the really cool rooftop spot. I would call it probably, honestly, the coolest rooftop spot you know, in LA. I think the standard in downtown was really cool for a stretch in the sort of 90s and, and through the 2000s. But um, Perch is still yeah, cool. And it's Perch was rad in the 2010s. Yeah, and it still is. And it actually has a lot of... it's It has some... It has some, how's the best way to say this? Um, it has character, you know, uh, 71 above is really cool. I was up there one time and got buzzed by, a, you know, a, um, LAPD chopper, uh, not in a weird way. They're just having fun and, uh, just being 71, you know, stories up is, is pretty cool. So they're both great recommendations. Yeah. So those are my picks. Um, I'm going to take us a little further west, right? Because we want to be, you know, amenable to our friends on the west side and, and make sure we're not, you know, keeping our, our visitors, you know, only uh, some place that Zeke and Mark and those guys can. Yeah. So I've got two I've got two ideas. Um, they're both sort of like Hollywood, Hollywood adjacent. Um, and then one on okay. the west side. Um, one is called Good Time at Davy Wayne's. Have you ever been I've heard Good of time? that. Yeah, it's I know, fun. I've, heard, I've heard of it, but. It's like a throwback bar. Everything is seventies themed. So think when you go into the restroom, there's just seventies posters everywhere. All the lounge furniture is like, you know, uh, seventies uh, furniture, all the decor is Browns and yellow. It just, you feel like you're stepping into a set on that 70s show. You dumbass. Sorry. Yeah. I just, I channel my inner red. I think I'm probably older than that dude was supposed to be in that show. Ooh, but anyway, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, funny, funny aside, when we lived downtown, we had a, a loft and, uh, my wife decorated, she, she collected and, and I shouldn't say just decorated. She collected in this, uh, and, and sort of put together this whole motif. The whole design of our apartment was seventies. And so we had a pull-out couch, you know, um, that was a, a um, you know, from the seventies. It was, you know, that it was brown and yellow, and the sort of that weird. I don't even know what material they used then to make couches. What, what did they use? It was like a, it was almost wool. You know what I can um, I can kind of picture and and sort of feel what you're talking about. And honestly, I don't know, but yeah, it was a much more coarse material. Super coarse, you know, right? But like yeah. everything, everything in our apartment, I mean, her, her, she had a salon, everything was, you know, orange, uh, you know, pleather. We had our Tupperware, our Tupperware was from the seventies. It was crazy. It was, it was a really interesting, um, decor. It was fun. But, uh, anyway, uh, good times at Davy Wayne's is uh, a pretty interesting low key spot. You're sort of in Hollywood, but you're not in Hollywood. Okay, cool. What's the other spot? No vacancy. Have you been? To, have you heard of that or been there? No, man, I'm not that cool. No vacancy is a Hollywood spot, and you feel like you're in Hollywood. It's sort of a speakeasy. You cruise in. There's no parking, so you have to get dropped off. Of course, you cruise in, and you have to wait to get in. And you enter 
through it looks like a, it looks like this big huge it's a big huge victorian house and you walk in to the front door and you wait your turn of course whatever how knows how long you're waiting there and at some point once you finally get in the floor just drops and you just sink down into the bottom floor of the of the victorian house into the ground level because you enter sort of on like maybe the second floor this sounds it, like the haunted house at Disneyland. It, it's sort of like that. But then you get in and it's this big, huge Victorian house that has bars everywhere. There's an upper level bar, a downstairs bar. There's a kind of a courtyard patio. So people are inside, people are outside. Again, there's another burlesque show. People are like, girl, like ladies are like, you know, dancing and flying on wires. It's, it's crazy. It's just a really fun, very Hollywood experience. Well, dude, that sounds like a uh, a good time. I, you know, um, that reminds me actually of something I did in in Copenhagen on my last trip there. So I, I, I would, would do I that. would imagine I would do yeah, that here. Yeah, it may be some very Euro in some ways. Right on. All right, cool. So, anything else in terms of kind of the you know the bar, the after party, after dinner? You know, for our friends who like to go all the way out to Santa Monica, there's the bungalow. If you've ever been there, it's a, a really cool bar that's at the Fairmont right there off of Ocean. Um, it's basically a set of bungalows that are at the bottom yep. of the property. I've and, been by it. Yeah. I no, I mean, it. it's it's a very like sceney spot. All the young folks go out there and that's like their Friday, Saturday jaunt. And uh, But it's pretty cool. It's a really neat thing. You almost feel like you're at like a set of house parties. Because everybody, you know, there's people hanging out in the courtyard, but then there's these different little bungalows that are, people are all hanging in because it's indoor, outdoor, and there's lounge furniture everywhere. It's it's kind of an in spot. I'd actually, maybe I'm now dating myself. It was very in a few years ago. I imagine still is. I think that area is always going to be cool and always going to be a draw, um, if nothing else, for people from out of town. But that's, I think that's cool. So now we've been to, we've pre-gamed, we've been to a couple of kind of marquee spots. We've taken in the view. Um, as we kind of work our way back to San Gabriel Valley, what do you think? I'm thinking we need to stop for like one kind of last minute, you know, bite to eat basically before you, uh, you pass out at 3am in the hotel. And I'm going to suggest tacos at El Matate in Pasadena, right next to the old, um, and this is being, I, I think it's being renovated and certainly it's being torn up, but, uh, the comedy venue, the ice house. This is a world famous comedy venue. And this place is really like literally right next door. And they do some of the best like pastor tacos. Um, I would probably assuming they're open that late. Uh, I would probably swing in there, you know, with my guests and say, Hey, let's have uh, give me like three or four al pastors each one final, maybe, uh, you know, modelo especial before bed. And, you know, then we're calling it a night. Have you, have you been there to that place? Have you had the tacos there? Yeah. I love El Matate. Yeah. Yeah. That is, um, super, super authentic kind of street tacos. And uh, the pastor there to me is the best just because it's not huge, like massive chunks of pineapple with a little bit of meat. It's, it's, everything's well integrated. They do a good job there and very nice people, the family that run it. That would be sort of my last thing. I wish I knew the name of it competing for them for quality there is a regular or at least again in the pre-covid days there used to be a regular food truck off of fair oaks it's not a, too far from the hospital you know the one yeah, i'm talking about i do yeah. i think it's called um, california tacos 
yeah, that taco truck is famous, you know, in Los Angeles, those people do really, really good work. I, oh God, I'm so hungry for that right now. Los, Los California. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we'd hit that. They're still there. They're really good. Yeah. We, we would hit that. And I think that would be it. Where do you, have you thought of this? I mean, I, I got super nerdy with this, so I even picked hotels. Have you thought about where your guests are bedding down? That's a good question. Um, man, you know, we haven't stayed downtown for a long time. I mean, there's a bunch of fancy new hotels downtown. You know, you have the, um, the freehand, um, you have, um, oh man, you're putting me on the spot now and I'm, I'm kind of blanking a little bit. Well, dude, I'll rescue you. I mean, I'll, I'll throw you the life preserver. So I, assuming again, you know, for me, I, I biased my list in favor of kind of San Gabriel Valley. So I picked the Langham. And so for people not familiar, the Langham Pasadena is, you know, what was it before? Was it a Ritz Carlton? Cause I think it's been three different things. But, I, I, did, uh, I didn't know that. I've only known it as the Langham. Okay. So, you know, going way back, I mean, this is a historic property and again, this area. So think, you know, um, you know, Pasadena, South Pasadena, San Marino is where the the original old money, the OG old money in Southern California was. You know, this is where, you know, the the Rose Parade kind of developed. Basically the Rose Parade and and that tournament of roses was essentially a land pitch uh, you know, for people, you know, with money to come out here and Wrigley has a mansion in Pasadena. So, you know, you figure Wrigley Field and Catalina Island. Um you know, Procter and Gamble, the Gamble family has a massive home in Pasadena, as you probably know, up near the Rose Bowl. The Langham is this, you know, kind of great Gatsby meets old Hollywood place. And have you actually, let me ask you, have you been there in the past like 10 years? No, I actually haven't. Okay, dude, we got to go there. We'll go to the tap room. There's a couple of really good restaurants there. There's a steakhouse there. There's a a good, uh, you know, it's basically a beer bar as good as it can be in a hotel like that. You know, it's not looking to attract, you know, a young kind of hip clientele for nightlife. They don't want a crowd. It is, um, it is very quiet. It is leafy streets, uh, an extremely kind of affluent neighborhood. And you are in the middle of, you know, one of the oldest, like most prestigious residential communities in Southern California. And it's just amazingly gorgeous you know, the, the property is insane. You can rent bikes there. And, uh, I did something there with, you know, a, a team from work and we, we rented bikes and just rode around and looked at these historic, like seven and 8,000 square foot craftsman homes. These things are huge. This neighborhood laughs at Holmby Hills, whatever. Um, so that's where I have people staying because it is very close. As you know, I mean, it's a hop, skip and a jump. Um, either by, you know, kind of surface street or, or freeway to downtown and Pasadena old town is literally two minutes away. And there's a ton of stuff to do there. If you, if you want to do, you know, great restaurants, if you want to go see comedy, if you want to go shopping or whatever. So that's where I have somebody bedded down or as an alternative, someplace like Bissell house B and B. Do you know that place? No, never heard of okay. it. Okay. You, you, so you do know it. You just don't know that you know it. It is right off. It is so secluded. It is right off of the, or maybe a better way to put it, it is right before the entrance to the 110 South off of Orange Grove in Pasadena. 
just before it gets a little curvy as you go down the hill to get on. Drive that every day. It's the, it's the green house on the right behind all the hedges. And it's a, a a really, you know, swank B and B and that you can't get more central than that. Cause you literally, you pull out of that place and you're five seconds later, you're on, on the one ten South headed downtown. And on a, on a clear evening, you're downtown in seven minutes. That's, that's really good. Those are two really, first of all, the, the Langham is sort of the, the key, you know, the keystone of the area in terms of, of, of hotels. And then that, that sort of, you know, treasure that you just shared, that's, those are two really good options. That's, you did well on that one. I drove by that place for 20 years before I realized what it was. I've been driving past it for at least six years at this point. Didn't even know it existed. Yep. So, man, we've talked about everything from watches and food. I, I have one last kind of nerd thing. And, you know, because every watch dilettante is into Porsches or Ferraris or whatever, you got to go on a good drive. Um, I think the the move for most people is going to be Angeles Crest Highway. And that's a good one. But I've got some other suggestions. I'll, I'll throw it out there to you. I know I didn't tell you about this in advance, but what do you think about? You know, Angela's Crest is great, especially on a on a clear day going up to Mount Wilson. Um, but I would suggest maybe heading out toward Malibu and doing like the uh, the 101 Las Virginis Malibu Canyon to PCH and back up Canaan Dune like that loop. Have you ever done that? You know what? I haven't actually. Yeah, that's that's a gorgeous drive. You know, you don't have to be aggressive with it or in a sports car or anything like that. It's just it's beautiful. It's, you know, the, uh, basically the, the Malibu Canyon is, you know, the mountains in that area are really pretty. You get some PCH, you can stop and, you know, get a nice cup of coffee or something like that along, you know, uh, one of a number of spots in Malibu and just kind of see what that's all about. Maybe time it. So, you know, you can hit a cars and coffee and, and run into Seinfeld or Matt Farah or somebody like that. And then, you know, head back up Cane and Dune and it's a that's a, a really fun drive as well. A little more trafficy than Angeles Crest, but also a lot less um a lot less stress if you're not like, you know, into that aggro driving. Yeah. No, that's that's a great recommendation because Angeles Crest is fantastic and and it's, you know, well documented. But um, you know, it's not an easy drive. No, for sure. You know, I would say, you know, that's a good idea. So we've gotten out in the next day, we've gotten a, a drive in, gotten some fresh air, might need a little hair of the dog, but we hit it pretty hard yesterday. So we might want to just grab a really good beer and we've we got to, we got to recommend it to the folks, at least just one or two good beers, you know, craft breweries or, or what have you. So w- what would you recommend? Oh, well, I mean, uh, I think so. I'm going to, I'm going to zig where I think people, would expect me to zag and I'm going to pick, uh, Ogopogo. So Ogopogo brewing in San Gabriel. And the reason for that is, um, you know, they've got a category of beers that you and I, I think you and I both like this, that, that are hard to find elsewhere. And that is they've got a selection at any given time of two or three really good pastry sours. And that's something you, you don't see at a lot of places. So just for the sheer sort of uniqueness of it, and they've got an amazing playlist that runs all the time. The music there is incredible. So I'm going to pick Ogopogo, even though, you know, there, there might be some other things that are maybe a little bit more, you know, personal to us or near and dear to our heart. So I'm just, 
just for the sake of being different. How about you? What are you going to suggest? I'll pander a little bit. You got to go see our friends at Overtown. They're just fantastic. Um, Have to. That and that's the obvious choice, right? That's the obvious yeah. choice, and uh, their 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 beers are are really wonderful. Um, if you want to get out of town, you want to split out of San Gabriel Valley and go somewhere else. Naja's place in Redondo Beach is like a old, you know, renowned beer bar in Redondo, right at the pier. You're overlooking the harbor, uh, the Redondo Harbor there, and you're 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 literally, you know, watching the ocean as you're enjoying significant amount of craft beer selection. So I used to spend some time when I lived down there. And then uh, if you want to make your way further further down south, the Long Beach um, and Seal Beach and some of those areas down there, Beachwood is just a fantastic uh, um, barbecue spot and and craft brewer as well. Beachwood is good. You know, what's another thing I didn't put this down in my notes, but if you're going to be down that way, um, spend a few bucks, get on the Queen Mary. I'm assuming it's still open post COVID, but the, the bar at the front of the ship, I, I don't know what it's called, but it's all like, you know, Lalique glass and brass. And it is, um, all sort of in art deco decor. That's a, a fun place. I, I have fond memories of having kind of like a, a Tangare 10 martini there with my wife years ago. That was a, you know, a spot that we would go to that place, by the way. And again, I'm assuming it's still there has an amazing Sunday brunch. Okay. And it will leave one last thing. Cause you just reminded me of another thing. Again, a bar in the front of somewhere, not expected the long beach museum of art has a bar or a restaurant in it called Claire's at the museum. And, uh, and that is a banger of a Bloody Mary. I mean, you know, the big old monster shrimps on top when the bacon is anyway, great food. Another great recommendation. It's sort of hidden, a hidden gem. Right on. Well, dude, we could keep riffing on this for a long time. Cause I mean, you, you mentioned, yeah, the long beach museum and I'm like, well, go to the Peterson, you know, blow off the art stuff. You got to go to the Peterson and La Brea Tar Pits or whatever, but people will find that on their own. We've we're running a little long on this one so maybe we curtail it here cuz probably by now it's like midnight on Sunday. Your our people arrived on Friday and they need to get a good night's sleep before they get on the plane. So that I think is our tour of Southern California, kind of tour of LA, San Gabriel Valley. And you know, if we have again, you know, the hypothetical is, you know, if Lee Brodinky comes to visit us, you know, we, we take him for some good food spots, take him to some good, you know, uh, uh, places to get a couple good drinks, do some watch shopping, you know, or the guys from, uh, uh, whiskey and watches or, or what have you. Um, so that concludes that. Do you want to just dive into final notes? Absolutely. And I feel like we're channeling our inner Brodinky. We're both sort of in the garage right now. He has a little more swag and merchandise, uh, behind him, but, you know, we're all, we're all kind of garage buddies at this point. Um, new series on Netflix called Drink Masters. Think um, Top Chef meets Cocktails and Bartenders. Have you seen it? I haven't. Did you say this is Netflix? Yeah, Netflix. I think it just came out. Like literally it's one of their, you know, new recommendations or whatever. Um, was looking for something just to kind of pass time in the background, kind of background noise. I'm like, oh, you know, I love all those, you know, Top Chefs and, Etc. So uh, let me let this roll. And uh, I watched the whole season. <laughs> so it's basically a, a cocktail, you know, competition. They have, you know, a dozen bartenders from, you know, all across the country, actually some of them from Canada as well, Montreal. And uh, they're given challenges. They work in teams on certain challenges. There's eliminations and elimination challenges. 
Um, it's fun. If you like those sort of, you know, top chef uh, style shows and you're interested in, in cocktails and, and sort of mixology, it's right up your alley. And the first episode was tequila. So you had me hooked. It was cool. It was, I liked it. It was a, a good, fun, easy, uh, non-committal kind of a simple watch. You didn't have to think too hard. Dude, I will definitely check that out. I have something slightly different, you know, instead of a, uh, you know, something kind of new and, and fresh, I'm going to suggest that people kind of get back into the way back machine, go back to 1965, find this, whether it's on DVD or if you can stream it or whatever, but I'm in the middle of rewatching, um, something that I haven't seen since I was little and did not understand it when I did see it. I mean, I'm familiar with the story, you know, and the history behind it, but, um, Dr. Shivago, and this is an, it's, a masterwork. It's an absolute classic. This is again, you know, 1965. It's uh, the Pasternak um, book. And, you know, these are some definitely some heavyweights, right? This is Omar Sharif, Alec Guinness, and um, Obi-Wan Kenobi. If if you're under the age of say 45, there's a, a good chance you've never seen this, or you, you know, if you've heard of it, you've never seen it. Um, it's an important thing to watch. I think, you know, it's, you know, whether, uh, it's, it's inherently political and some people aren't going to like that, but it's one of these things where it's just, it's beautifully shot. It's an incredibly, you know, powerful story. Um, and it is a, a good reminder. I think, you know, every generation should be made to watch it a few times. Um, and this is, you know, one of these things where I've, I've seen it in bits and pieces over the years, but, you know, just kind of catching it, it, it's over three hours. So, I mean, you know, plan on seeing it maybe in, in two installments, which is what I'm doing. Um, but it's, uh, it's an, it's a classic, you know, just absolute amazing must see, you know, both for entertainment and kind of historical purposes. That's a, a good place to leave off sort of, uh, something light and fresh, something sort of, uh, you know, a little more in depth and, and thought provoking. Totally. Hey, we do it here. We do it all here at the spirit of time. We do the classy, we do, you know, the sort of ratchet we do, you know, thinkers, you know, uh, uh, in depth and we do sort of light and fresh. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. Well, you know, um, and speaking of ratchet, there's that Rolex dive watch, but, uh, did I say that? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) right on. Uh, well, hey, dude, it's been good seeing you. It's been a minute. I know we've uh, we've had some unexpected kind of you know family and work stuff that's come up that's you know prevented getting uh, you know getting this one done. But I'll, we'll have this up soon, and I we may be you know talking about an event that we go to. I'm just going to kind of tease this without getting too specific in case we don't <laughs> or we can't. But uh, there's something coming up this weekend. So hopefully we'll be able to kind of see each other there, maybe even record a few minutes of sound there. But either way, we'll have something to talk about soon. And in the meantime, cheers. Take care. We'll have this be our last step. What do you say? Cheers. Salute. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at spiritoftimepodcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.